Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is carbon capture for semi-trucks with my friend, Paul Gross. How's it going, Paul? Going well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited about this topic. This is kind of a one-in-a-rarity that, is, that <laughs> uh, I talked to somebody with kind of a brand new innovative product like this. I mean, lots of innovative products, but this one's really out there. And I'm excited about it. So before we get started any further, Paul, please introduce yourself and your company. So I'm Paul Gross. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Remora. And at Remora, we build a device that captures the carbon emissions from a semi-truck. So you can picture our device like a big panel that mounts on the back of the tractor, right between the tractor and the trailer that attaches to the tractor's tailpipes. Then it captures at least 80% of the tractor's carbon emissions. And the driver offloads the carbon dioxide while they refuel. And then we sell the carbon dioxide to concrete producers or greenhouses or other end users. And we share that revenue right back with the fleet so we can help them reduce their emissions and earn a new stream of revenue at the same time. While cleaning up the planet. (laughs) That's the goal. (laughs) That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, Paul, before we get into the details of what you guys do, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? What kind of kid were you? I grew up in San Francisco and, you know, I, I, my grandmother was a Unitarian Universalist minister. I went to a, a hippie middle school where we watched an inconvenient truth uh-huh. in physics class and we sang, you know, 60s songs at singing time <laughs> every day. So, you know, I, I think climate change was always on my mind, sort of growing up in this background. Then, you know, I went off to college at Yale on the East Coast. and Oh, nice. That was a big culture shock. It, <laughs> it was a little different. I'd say, yeah, I you know, thought I was going to go into politics to try to do something about climate change and worked on that for my time in college. But toward the end decided, you know, I thought maybe starting a company would be a higher impact way to do something right now because the problem is just so urgent. So that's how I got started with Remora. Well, that's fantastic. I, it's, it's so, was that your first job out of school? Yeah. So I met my co-founder, Christina, in my senior year of Yale. I actually came across her dissertation on mobile carbon capture online, and I read it all the way through and was just amazed by the technology that she was proposing. So she had been funded by the EPA to test this technology for about eight years. She did bench testing. You know, she did vehicle testing. She tested in their national vehicle and fuel emissions lab. And I came across the technology and just gave her a call and we really hit it off and we had a bunch more calls. I wrote her a business plan and eventually I convinced her to quit her job at the EPA where she was working as a scientist and come join me to start this. Interesting. Interesting. So she was kind of going down the path that you were, which is maybe we got to go through the government, see if we can't get federal regulations or exactly innovation through the government. And you guys started realizing maybe there's a better way faster way. God bless the government. They do what they can, but they weren't known for speed on anything. And and the na- the nature of what they do, they have to get a coalition and the coalition is enormous. <laughs> not always, exactly. uh, not always. It's like probably like herding cats. And I know business isn't easy, but you guys, once you put a small team together, it seems like a lot easier to marshal change. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen so far the impact that government can have through tax incentives for carbon sequestration and through EPA mandates for cleaner trucks. 
So the government can have a huge outsized impact, but I think there's also a role to play for small companies um, who are bringing new technologies to market. And because the problem is so urgent, I think we need all hands on deck, all different types of people getting involved to tackle climate change. Yep. And it's interesting because on my podcast, I would say every second or third podcast, there's some discussion of sustainability. It's becoming more and more important to consumers, which means it's becoming more and more important to brands, which means uh, at some point the brands are going to look to their logistics providers and say, what's up? (laughs) What are you doing? And when they ask what are you doing? It's too late because you have to, if this stuff doesn't happen overnight, you do have to get on boards sooner rather than later. And, you know, I just had the CEO of DHL on. DHL is spending 8 billion euros between now and 2030 on sustainability. So if you think it's just kind of like, you know, social justice thing or a woke thing, or I don't even believe in climate change or whatever you're into, it doesn't really matter what you believe. This is what customers believe right now. It's yeah. happening. And the leaders in the space, and DHL is the biggest, they are spending money on it. So they're going to an all-electric last mile fleet, I think, at some point. So the world is changing very rapidly. <laughs> so That's what we've seen as well. Yeah. So let's get in a little bit of the detail. So let's talk about the problem first. Do you have a sense for what percentage of the environmental impact, the negative environmental impact is from trucking? Yeah. So, I mean, as you know, almost every object around us has been on a semi-truck at one point in its lifetime. There are 2 million semi-trucks on the road in the U.S. And that accounts for 5% of the entire U.S. carbon footprint. So, I mean, that's just an incredible, staggering amount of carbon emissions. That is 340 million tons of carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere out of these trucks every year. So, I mean, the problem here is just enormous and we need a solution that's not ready in a couple decades we need a solution now because climate change is incredibly pressing i mean in my hometown san francisco you know the sky was dark orange last year because of the wildfires we've seen flooding we've seen droughts climate change is upon us now so we can't wait and we have to tackle this problem right now right so when you say carbon dioxide is that the main thing that you're trying to capture and is that the main environmental problem That is. So climate change is caused by carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere and trapping heat, um, which essentially warms up the planet and causes all sorts of things like melting the glaciers, which rises sea levels and causes flooding. It makes the weather more extreme. And, you know, we just saw a new report from the UN saying that essentially, you know, we're in a dire situation. We are in a crisis. We need to do something about it right now. And the way that we do that is by stopping carbon dioxide from going into the atmosphere. So whether that's emitting less or capturing it or taking it back out of the atmosphere, we need to do all the above. Right. So is carbon dioxide, you have to give me a little science lesson because I haven't been there in a while. Is carbon dioxide, is that, is that naturally occurring also? So carbon dioxide is you know, it's relatively, uh, I mean, it's only 0.04% of the atmosphere. So, you know, it's not one of the the common gases in the atmosphere. (laughs) Yeah. But the problem is that just a tiny bit more completely changes the temperature of the planet. And basically just the planet is extremely, extremely finely tuned. And if we make any little adjustment, it's going to have a huge impact. And, you know, that's carbon dioxide is produced anytime we burn any kind of fuel. 
So, you know, that's the, the emissions coming out of a tailpipe that's really contributing to climate change. So when you get, when you capture that carbon dioxide, what does that look like? Is it like a powder form? What's it look like? Or is it a gas? So we capture it on the truck as a gas, but when we offload it to an offload tank, we actually turn it into a liquid. And you've seen solid carbon dioxide before. It's actually just dry ice. So, you know, we can turn it into a solid if we want, but it's easiest to transport it as a liquid. And that's generally how concrete producers and greenhouses use their carbon dioxide. So when you use that carbon dioxide again, does it end up back in the environment somehow? No. So we choose end uses for our carbon dioxide that permanently sequester it. I'll give you an example, which is okay. concrete producers who inject the carbon dioxide into their concrete during the curing process to make the concrete stronger. The carbon dioxide actually undergoes a chemical transformation. So it makes the concrete stronger. And even if you break up that concrete, it's still going to remain trapped. So it never goes back right. into the atmosphere. So it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> it's an effect. It's gone. That's yep. fantastic. So now is it just carbon dioxide that you're concerned about capturing or is it capturing other pollutants? It's mainly carbon dioxide that we're focused on. You know, we're looking into the possibility of capturing carbon monoxide and also NOx, but we are mainly focused on carbon dioxide because there are already great systems on board, you know, class A trucks like the SCR, which capture most of the NOx emissions coming out of the truck. And carbon dioxide is really the problem that hasn't been solved yet. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it sounds wonderful. So let's talk about how you capture that. So sure. you mentioned a mechanism that's somewhere between the, the tractor and the trailer. Where does this go and how does it sit and how does it hook up? <laughs> this is a massive device. So it's like seven feet by eight feet. If you picture, you know, the back of a sleeper, it goes all the way out mm -hmm. to the side fairings. It goes all the way to the top of the um, top of the cab. And, you know, it's, it's big. I mean, this is a hard thing to do. And the way it works is it just mounts on the back of the cab and attaches to the truck's tailpipes. And then it essentially acts like a big filter. So we run the exhaust through the device and it pulls the carbon dioxide out of the exhaust stream while letting the harmless gases like oxygen and nitrogen flow right out into the atmosphere. And then we're able to offload that carbon dioxide as this pure gas and the offloading process takes less than five minutes. It's incredibly easy for the driver. They just attach a hose, the device pumps the carbon dioxide out into an offload tank, they detach the hose and they're done. So it's very fast, it's very easy. You don't have to take anything off the truck or put anything new on the truck. So when you're, when you're loading, when you're uh, installing this, how long does it take to install something like this? Just a couple hours. You know, this is a pretty easy bolt-on aftermarket retrofit. And it's, we're trying to get it faster and faster, but right now it takes us about a day right. to do the installation. Yeah. And then when you're uh, taking the carbon dioxide out, wherever you're depositing that, that's, you're not taking the whole thing off. You're just taking filter out or, and it's a liquid at that point. You're not even taking the filter out. You just, all that is required is you just attach a hose to the device and the device pumps the carbon dioxide out through the hose and then you detach the hose. So it's like refueling in reverse. You don't have to take anything out of the device or really make any changes at all. Very cool. Very cool. So how, how heavy is that, that device that you got to put on the back of the truck or on the back of the tractor? The device is super heavy. I'm, I mean, this is, you know, this device is 3,200 pounds empty and 5,000 pounds fully loaded with carbon dioxide. So for just a single run, we're capturing almost a ton of carbon dioxide from the truck, which is pretty mind blowing. But our view is 
for a similar range, 600 to 800 miles, we're talking about adding 15 or 20,000 pounds of batteries to get a similar emissions reduction. So in a way, this is actually the lightest weight way to reduce our emissions for these long haul heavy duty routes. And you know that's why we are really excited about this technology. Yeah, yeah. So now, will those trucks be able to carry less, or is that is that more considered part of the tractor? Well, it just depends on the it depends on the truck. So if you're cubing out your load, um, and you know you're not getting up to eighty thousand pounds, then you'll be able to just add this no problem. If you're weighing out, you might have to carry a little bit less. But we're working on a weight exemption right. for our technology, just like electric vehicles get, and that will allow folks to get above 80,000 pounds right. with our device installed. Right. And you guys are just getting started. So an engineering background, product development, things get lighter every day. Things get smaller every day. So that's exactly I can't right. imagine what, where you guys will be at in five, 10 years. It'll be that's like, exactly right. used to be like this big thing, but <laughs> now it's... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just picture a computer. It started the size of a room, and now we have right. computers in our pockets. <laughs> so it's the same thing with any technology, and this is what we can do right now. But you bet it's going to get more efficient. It's going to get lighter. It's going to get smaller over time. Right. And the reality, and we've talked about this in my podcast before, but not with you, is that we do have people who are willing to even pay extra for products and services that are don't have a big impact on the planet. We see that all the time. So there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of customers who say, I don't care if I have to have in rare cases less stuff on my truck because this is important to me. This is important to our brand. This is important to me personally. Important to my business. Important to my customers. So we're going to see that we're already people are making those decisions. I mean, you know, we I think we already have evidence of that. We've just already signed up 16 different multi-billion dollar companies to pilot this technology, including nine Fortune 500 wow. companies, a couple of the Fortune 10, and some of the largest fleets in the country. We've signed up Ryder, we've signed up Werner, ArcBest, NFI, we're working with Cargill. So, you know, folks just know that this is technology that we need to reduce those emissions. And they're seeing the demand from their shippers, and they know that it's the right thing to do. And it just makes me really optimistic to see these big fleets jump in you know, and just make this investment in the new technology to reduce their emissions. Right. So now, as far as the cost of that of your unit, what does that thing cost? Right now, the device costs about $20,000 per device. But what's great about it is when we sell the carbon dioxide that we capture for an average truck, we're earning between... Mm -hmm. $15,000 and $22,000 per year. So we split that 50-50 with the truck, which means if you own a truck, you're earning $7,500 to $11,000 a year from the carbon dioxide we're capturing. And you break even on the device in about two years. So it's a great payback. And then it's just this extra revenue stream every year. Right. What Do you see the government stepping in and saying, we will give credits or anything for this type of product. It makes sense. I think that's possible. We have a great relationship with the EPA and we're hoping to work with them in the future. I mean, I think they're doing great work to try to reduce emissions and, and curb climate change. And you know, we're going to try to work with them as much as possible in order to make sure that this solution gets deployed quickly. The other point to make is actually there are already tax credits for sequestering carbon dioxide, and we're really excited to start to fit into those credits. And, you know, I think we're only going to see more credits like that because the credits that already exist are a bipartisan priority in Congress. Right. 
Right. Well, that's fantastic. And and again, I can see, you know, this at some point saying it doesn't even need government help at some point as it as this stuff matures, right? In the beginning, it's really helpful to have some sort of credit that gives, we've seen it with solar panels, we've seen it with other sorts of uh, things that help with our, minimize our environmental impact. So it makes a lot exactly. of sense if you're going to have credit to have a credit for this. So absolutely, I say credit or tax break or whatever, whatever incentive that the government wants to help us out with. And yeah, that's fantastic. So if I was a trucking company, so let's just use one of your, do you have, can you give us an example, one of the customers you're working with and how you're, where you're at in the progress? Absolutely. Our first pilots are starting in just a couple months in January. So, you know, let's take Ryder for an example. We're working with them on a pilot in Kentucky and we install an offload tank at their distribution center. We pay for the offload tank and they buy the devices from us. And then they're running round trips and they offload the carbon dioxide at the end of the day when they get back to the distribution center. And if you have a refueling operation at your distribution center, you can actually refuel and offload at the same time. So it doesn't add any time to your driver's schedule. And then over time, we're going to be building out a network of offloading stations at truck stops as well so that we can you know, support long haul OTR routes as well as the shorter haul, you know, round trip routes. So, so when you're offloading this carbon dioxide in liquid form, is it just a, some sort of hose that comes off of your unit and then goes into uh, uh, some sort of receptacle? I'm assuming that's, uh, there's no escape of carbon dioxide in the transfer. And then is that a safe is that safe for these guys to do when they're uh, doing the offloading? Absolutely. The hose attaches, it just clicks in to the device and it's built so that if the hose accidentally detaches, it immediately seals. And the way it works is the carbon dioxide nice. just pumps out into the offload tank. It's incredibly straightforward and it is completely safe. One of the things that's a real relief for us is that carbon dioxide is not flammable at all. So it's, it's actually quite safe to have <laughs> on premise. In fact, almost every restaurant and brewery has a carbon dioxide tank on premise. That's how they carbonate the drinks that are coming out of the soda fountain. So it's pretty safe. <laughs> I, didn't you know, know that. I mean, essentially, you know, we see we see this in many establishments all over the country. So we're just doing the same thing, storing carbon dioxide on premise. Very nice. So they'll have some sort of tank that you pull up to after you've gotten your fuel or right before you get your fuel, you offload that exactly. and then at some point somebody comes and takes that big that empties that tank into a tanker exactly we come by with a tanker and empty the carbon dioxide out and then we drive it to the end user and hand it to them and they pay us so you, you mentioned pilots with some pretty big players in the space so how, how are those pilots going so those pilots are starting in January. So we haven't, we don't have them on the road yet. And we're just really excited with the planning is going well. You know, we're on track to get started in January or February. And, you know, once we do, I think we'll be able to report some exciting results. Well, I'd love to have you back to have you talk about it. And you know, what's <laughs> interesting is I, I can say this from my putting my product engineer hat on is that um, you learn so much on those first on pilots and prototypes. I mean, the, you know, there'll be like massive uh, improvements to whatever you're doing right after that. I mean, absolutely, it'll be a lot of work, but but you know, you'll go, oh, you know what? We didn't even realize you could do this, this and this, or, you know, this is a great way to take weight out or cost out and improve absolutely. the process. And that's one of the things that it makes me most excited is to be working with such a phenomenal team of engineers. So I already mentioned my co-founder, Christina, but my co-founder, Eric, you know, he's our chief technology officer and he was a diesel mechanic for a decade. He got his bachelor's and master's at University of Michigan in mechanical engineering. And then he actually built hydrogen fuel cell and battery electric class eight trucks 
for some of the largest automotive companies in the world. And he's just a phenomenal engineer. He's recruited a phenomenal team of engineers. And I'm so excited to see the progress they'll make on improving the efficiency of this device and just making it work even better. Yeah, I'm glad they're Wolverines. I live right by them. They're, <laughs> they're probably 20 minutes away in Livonia, Michigan. And I know there a lot of them seem to be based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I live right. close to there. And to, and this week is football season begins. Hallelujah. Exactly. <laughs> Ann Arbor's happy again. Hopefully we'll be able to go all the games in person this year. So when you first reach out to these all these players, and say, those, say some of those pilot partners again. We're working with Cargill, Ryder, Werner, ArcBest, NFI, some of the other largest fleets in the country, and also you know nine of the Fortune 500, a couple of the Fortune 10. So some of the largest private and public companies in the world. Like CPG, like CPGs, you mean? Yes. So you and got some shippers of them, and you have carriers? Yeah. And some of the shippers have their own private fleet and then others just are working with a carrier to start the pilot. So we can work with folks that do or don't have their own trucks. That's fantastic. So what was their, uh, what so far has been their uh, impression of the system? We've been really excited by their reaction. We did not expect folks to jump on board so quickly, but you know, the moment we started having these conversations, we thought, I mean, we've heard that it takes a long time to sign deals like this. And, you know, we we have to go through a lot of meetings, but I mean, to these fleets credit, they just jumped right on board. They said, this is something we need and we're committed to helping you get it on the road. And to have partners like that, you know, these aren't just customers. These are partners to us who are helping us get this right. device on the road, helping us improve it and helping us pilot it. And that's just incredible to be working with some of the, the best fleets and the, the most forward thinking fleets in the country on getting this technology to market. Yep. You know, one of my, I have two daughters. One of my daughters went to Aquinas College in Grand Rapids and her degree is in sustainable business. Wow. And I thought, yeah, it's one, I think Aquinas has the first undergrad in sustainable business. And so I remember when she was there, they talked about to be a sustainable business, you have to be good for the planet or at least better than your, than your uh, uh, competition. You have to be good to people, not not only your employees, not only your customers, but hopefully the community at large. And then last but not least, you have to be profitable. And one of the things that um, I was afraid she was going to go there and they're going to talk about the first two and not talk about the last one. But what they made the point is, is you have to make money. Otherwise, you're going to go out of business at some point. And when you go out of business, the person who replaces you isn't going to care about people or planet as much as you. And so I really love that business model. I think you see more and more companies jumping on that bandwagon. Sounds like I'm making light of it, but get, bringing those values from home to work. And there's been people on the podcast who are actually B Corps. And B Corps are companies that really embrace these sustainable values. And what's interesting is they make more money. <laughs> they have people yeah. come to them. It's at some point they have customers say, we're buying from you. We're calling you because... And um, I was helping somebody who was making frozen yogurt, and they said, we want to work with somebody who's sustainable. And I was like, well, there's only a few people who can do it for you. And so it's, it's, it's an interesting thing when you have somebody who that is, their first, that is their first criteria for working with a partner is they're looking for somebody who cares about the planet, cares about people, cares about doing the right thing for the world. So yeah. I think you're going to have lots of companies reach out just for those reasons. That's what we've found already. And it's not just customers that are demanding that companies become more sustainable and reduce their emissions. It's also shareholders who are increasingly valuing companies that you know invest in sustainability. It's the government as well. And 
almost most, most importantly, it's employees. You know, we found that it's, I mean, we had 280 applications for our first engineering post. And that's because people want to work on the climate crisis. They know it's the most important and, you know, the most significant challenge of our generation. And it's a huge, huge boon to be able to say, look, we're actually doing something about this. I mean, I think that's the companies that do that will get the best talent. Right. And, and you know, it's interesting. And I've said, said it before on my podcast. Every once in a while you say people go, the climate's always changed. It's always changed. And, you know, is this man-made or not? And I, I still say this. I don't know. And I don't even care. I'm not a scientist. What I do know is what I hear from consumers, what I hear from brands, what I hear from the people on my podcast. That's so, so if you're, if you're somebody who's saying, Oh, I don't know that it's as big a problem. I'm not as passionate about it as Paul is. It doesn't really matter. Your customers think that your customers <laughs> are hearing it from their customers. It, it'd be like right now if I was to say, yeah, if my customers, they want customer service, but they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It doesn't matter whether they, they know what they're talking about. They want it and they're the customers. So exactly. we are hearing this loud and clear from consumers. We're hearing it from the brands that serve those consumers. It's time. <laughs> it's yeah. just a matter of time before somebody says to you when they're you're doing an R, RFP, Oh, and by the way, we want a few slides on what you're doing about the environment. Tell us what KPIs you have that, that are about sustainability. And if and you can't do that. by the way, what's your track record on sustainability? So by the time someone asks right. you about that, as you already said, it's too late. Too late. It's years too late. <laughs> right. You know, you need to be doing something for years before that. Right. And you know, one thing that we can say in this business, we've always cared about empty miles. Empty miles are ridiculous for us because the driver's driving, he's getting paid, but n nobody's making as much money as they want and it's bad for the environment. So yep. we've done a good job in tracking empty miles for a long time in this business and data is helping us have fewer empty miles but it won't get us all the way there we're even if we get to the place where there's no empty miles and we say every which is never going to happen <laughs> but even if we get it down to the lowest amount of empty miles we're still going to have the full miles where we have pollution coming out of those tailpipes so we need this this is this is the next step beyond killing off empty miles <laughs> Exactly. And then, by the way, that pollution, if you filter it properly, can actually turn into a valuable product that we can sell for additional right. revenue. So, you know, let's capture it and let's take that value rather than just letting it dissipate into the atmosphere. Right. Yeah. And, you know, this speaks also to circular supply chains. There's a lot of companies out there that are pushing circular supply chains and that basically it's the waste of one supply chain, the stuff that would have gone to the landfill going to begin as the raw goods or no, maybe not even the raw goods into the into another supply chain. I'll have to connect you with those people because be um great. that's a big push too. Because we again we start to looking at supply chains. Just did a podcast with Michigan State, Jason Miller, professor from there. And one of the things we talked about is our supply chains reach all the way over to China and Asia and we are moving them back. Supply chains are going to get much shorter. And one of the reasons they're going to get shorter is for to reduce environmental impact. All those all those boats floating around in uh California right now off the coast waiting to be unloaded a lot of a lot of environmental impact that we don't need to have oh speaking of which do you guys have a plan for going after other vehicles beyond trucks or is it just trucks right now right now we're focused on class 8 trucks but in the future this technology could absolutely be used for mining haul trucks or locomotives or cargo ships and we plan to do that i think there are a lot of sectors that are going to be extremely hard to electrify wow. hard to decarbonize and We'd like to help with this solution wherever we can. 
Well, that, I'll just ask this. So if I'm capturing all that carbon, is electric still a better choice at some point? Or if you're, I'm taking 80% of the carbon out, because there is obviously an environmental impact to creating electric batteries, right? There is. And there's an environmental impact to recycling them on the back end. You know, we're going to be getting 50%, which is what we can do now, to 99% capture over time. And if we pair our device with a biofuel or another low carbon fuel and then capture those emissions, we could even make a truck carbon negative. So that's better than electric could ever do, even if we cleaned <laughs> up the grid and you know replaced every truck on the road. So our view is, look, electric is a great solution for cars. It's a great solution for last mile and for those shorter haul, lighter duty vehicles. Final mile, but yeah. for, you know, for those big, heavy duty, long haul routes, I don't know that electrification is really going to be the answer because batteries are just so much heavier than diesel or gasoline. So you're losing a ton right. of payload capacity by adding them. I mean, it's the reason Bill Gates said, you know, in a recent blog post, electrification is never going to be the solution for 18 wheelers or cargo ships or airplanes. I mean, I think we're, we're all looking at the same data and realizing we may need a different answer. And we hope and we think that answer will be mobile carbon capture. Right. And this is this is kind of the advantage of you guys being a, a private company because there'll be lots of private companies that can come in. There'll be innovation. One of the advantages of the system we have is innovation. You know, as soon as soon as the, as soon as you do this, somebody's going to go, I can do that. And I can do that better. And uh, I don't think it's going to be just as simple as, as you, to your point. We'll just switch to electric and the life will, life will be perfect. It won't be. You know, humankind has had this problem of solving one problem and creating another one for <laughs> tens of thousands of years. So yeah. anyway, Paul, give us, wrap this bad boy up and then I want to hear how people can reach out to you. But uh, give us a summary of this big old topic we've covered today. So, you know, as we talked about, um, Remora is building a device that captures the carbon emissions from a semi-truck. And the reason we need this is that trucks put millions and millions of tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere every year. And that's what's causing these wildfires, these floods, these droughts that are happening to us right now. So we need to retrofit these trucks you know, yesterday with these devices. And what's great about it is that the carbon dioxide that we capture can actually be sold for a profit. So that trucking companies that outfit their trucks and make money as well as reducing their emissions. And really that's our long-term goal. And that's why we're building this solution. And by the way, we're building it in Detroit. We're manufacturing all of our devices in Detroit. So this is completely American made. I think that's just another reason to jump on board and, and pilot this technology. Yeah, we didn't talk too much about your team over here in Detroit. How many how many engineers and well, I shouldn't say just engineers. How many people do you have over here? So we, we are about 15 people total and all the engineers on the team, mechanical, chemical, are all based in Detroit. And then everyone else is remote around the country. Um, so that's the hybrid model. It works really well for us. And, you know, we're just really proud to be in Detroit. We're, I mean, it's the automotive capital of the world. We think there's no better place to be building this solution. Yeah, it's it's nice to it's nice that you're close to Ann Arbor and close to also all that automotive talent as you kind of grow. It's nice to bring in guys. One of the things I've, I've spent 25 years in automotive, and one of the things I always remember when things were taking off in Silicon Valley, getting calls sometimes and saying, well, yeah, Detroit this and Detroit that. And there was this sense that we were um, behind the curve. And I know for a long time, some of the new startups, like I think Tesla didn't hire a lot of people. And then at some point they're like, you know what? Those guys have been doing a long time over there. They they might have gotten uh, 
some old habits that are not good, but they know things that we don't know. <laughs> and so it's nice that you've got access to that, that research out of Ann Arbor, but also the uh, technology that Detroit's so well known for. Absolutely. So this is fantastic. So are you still bringing on partners? Or are you going to do this pilot next? What's the What's next for your company? So we're getting those pilots on the road in Q1 of 2022, and we're already subscribed for almost all of 2022 with our pilots, but we always have room for more fleets to jump on board. So if a fleet is interested in you know, joining us and piloting this technology, they can reach out. We're at hello at remoracarbon.com, and they can check us out at our website at remoracarbon.com, R-E-M-O-R-A-C-R-A-R-B-O-N.com. And, you know, in addition to that, if folks are interested in buying carbon dioxide from us, that, you know, if you're a greenhouse, if you're a concrete producer, you can also reach out the exact same way. Excellent. Well, what I'll do, Paul, is I'll put a, a link to your company's website and any other links you give me. I also will put a link to your LinkedIn profile so people can reach out to you directly. That's perfect. And I really do appreciate you coming on the show and talking to me about this. This is fantastic. I'm really I'm excited for what you're talking about because sustainability is important and we've been talking about it and people are doing things on it, but this is a big step. We're, we've been taking these itty-bitty little steps, which, which are all important and all valuable, but taking this big step is fantastic, and I'm, I'm happy for you. Thank you so much. Happy for the world. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.